hope you all had a good rest last night. You had an extra hour of sleep. So those of you who I do take notice of, who normally take naps during my message, I will be calling you out by name. There's no excuse this week, see. <laughs> all right. We are going to be continuing in 1 John. We are now approaching closer to the finish line. And we are going to be starting chapter 5 today of 1 John. So if you want to, those of you who like to follow along, if you would take your Bible and go to chapter 5. I can hear the, the pages turning. That's Baptist Air conditioning, they call that. On, and, and they used to. I guess nobody ever heard of it. Okay, it's. Uh, <laughs> I will never bring that up again. Okay, it's. it's <laughs> okay, let's pray first, and then we'll look to the Lord's word. Father, we rejoice in you today, Lord. We rejoice in you and we rejoice in your Son for the work that he has done, Lord, for us and for the Holy Spirit who lives in us, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would continue to be with us now. Lord, I pray that the words that I am about to speak would be from you. And Lord, I pray that those that are here would hear your words. And Lord, then we all would apply it. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers, but also doers of the word. Please bless this time now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, Bible refers to us as, as Christians as there's dozens and dozens and do dozens of names that are used for us as Christians. In fact, the word Christian actually was a negative term in the pagan world. For pagans... The word Christian meant little Christs. And then when they said that, they said it in a very negative way. They're little Christs. It was a negative term, actually. And, but after a while, it became our label of who we are. But the Bible refers to us as sheep, as saints, children of God, children of the light, children of day, children of obedience, uh, we're referred to as believers, friends, brothers, soldiers, ambassadors. We're living epistles, Paul says. There's over and over, Jesus referred to us as branches that are connected to him who is the vine. We're called heirs. We're called co-heirs with Christ. We're referred to as light. 
we're referred to as living stones, as Peter says, that are all being built up into the temple of God. But what we're going to read today, it's, this word is used 24 times in the New Testament, and John uses this word 21 times in all his writings. And it's the word overcomer. God says that if you're a Christian, you are an overcomer. The, the word that was used in the Greek when John says that we have overcome the world, the word is nikao. The noun of that is nike. And that word means someone who conquers. It's a conqueror. It's someone who's victorious. Someone who defeats his opponents, we might call it in our times, a winner. It's the one who wins. And God's Word says that we are the Nike, the overcomers, the ones who are victorious. In fact, I use that today, that, you know, God's children, the victorious in Christ. Do you think of yourself as victorious? Or as an overcomer? Are there days where maybe you don't feel so much like a victory is, is before you? Or that you conquered that day? In fact, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says that we are more than conquerors. And we'll look at that. We're who pair. Nike, that we are super overcomers, that we are super winners. Just keep that in mind as we read this, because today what we're going to see is that the, the main thrust of this passage deals with the idea that we are overcomers. Let's look at chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even, or that is, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So you hear it here, the, the thrust of this passage really has to do with who the overcomers are. And John is going to identify us by again going back to those three columns, we could say, or those three foundations of what makes a Christian. Remember, John is a book, a, a test, basically, saying, these are the tests. 
do you pass these tests to be a Christian? And if you, he says, if these, these moral tests and these doctrinal tests are evident in your life, then you qualify to be called a Christian. And again, in this book, he's going to talk about faith. He's going to talk about love and obedience. Those three things. And he says, those three things identify you as an overcomer. In a sense, almost, all those descriptions that I was mentioning, and by the way, I, I just wrote down some quick descriptions. There's more and more throughout the Bible of what a Christian is. But in a sense, being an overcomer is what that means. When you are those characteristics, those names of a Christian, you are an overcomer. Let's look at the text for a minute. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The first thing he does is bring up faith again. John, you notice, I mean, he's hammering that over and over. Faith, obedience, love. And he says, everyone, I have to bring this up because now I'm wearing my glasses and this thing is so low that it's, it's coming out of focus. I'm right in that middle range there where my glasses are, are not doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, that's better. Uh, okay. Now, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And what's interesting is that when he says everyone is born of God, the way it's written in the Greek, it's really those who are born of God believe. He's saying that the faith comes when you are born of God. And if you go to Ephesians, you know it says that faith is the gift of God. That apart from God working in our heart, we can't believe. Faith is that gift that comes from that work of grace that God does in our heart. See, the credit all goes to God. It doesn't go to us. We can't say, well, I'm a Christian because I believed. That's only part of it. Yes, that is part of the process. But salvation is of the Lord God alone. It's the work that God first does in our hearts. And He gives us through that we have the gift of faith. And He says everyone who believes, everyone who has faith that Jesus is the Christ, or what, what comes with Jesus is the Christ? He's saying He's the, he's the uh, Messiah, but that means that He's the Son of God, that He came, as John emphasizes, in the flesh. That's important. He's got to be real man. He's got to be all man in order to be our substitute. But he's the son of God and he has that ability and that power to take our sins upon himself on the cross there. And it also comes across that if Jesus is the Christ, he lived the perfect sinless life. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he, ro he rose on the third day and then ascended into heaven afterwards. That's all part of the package of who Jesus is, the Christ. That's not, that's not just one thing, it's a package. And John says, if you have faith in that, 
He says, everyone who does is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Now he's putting it into a package. He's saying that if you love the Father, you love his child as well. You can't, and remember, in uh, chapter 4, verse 19, John says, we love because he, meaning God, the Father, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, remember what John says? He's a liar. He says, for anyone who, do not who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's no such thing as a Christian who loves God but <laughs> hates other Christians. That doesn't fit, John says. That's part. And what's interesting in the context of the culture here, when, when you read this, uh, he says this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God. And in that culture, that Greco-Roman culture, the family was always thought of, all the people in the family were thought of as a unit. They were considered a unit. So with the father being at the head, the father was the head of the family, and the family was a unit. So in a sense, when you love the father, it was a package deal in a sense. And so he's saying here, John is using that in their culture, that anyone who says he loves the Father is going to love his children the way they were used to their culture like that. So he goes on in verse 2. He says, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God, again, they go together. You can't separate it. John said in chapter 4, right, anyone who says... You know, I love God, but hates his brother. He's a liar. He says that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now look in just these, these two verses here. John has said everyone who believes, faith, he identifies, is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father, loves his child, is faith, love, and now he says by loving God and carrying out his commands. Well, what's that? Obedience. Once again, John includes, he's, he's weaving it in and out of, of the book constantly. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. He keeps going back to love, obedience, like that, and faith. So he says this is love for God to obey his commands. Remember what Jesus said? I've used this verse a number of times. John, the Gospel of John 13, starting at verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. You know, love one another. As I have loved you, and this is important, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus doesn't suggest, you know, that how I've loved you, you know, you guys really should love one another. He says, no, it's a command. You must love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he says, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Jesus said, the one who loves me 
obeys my commands. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He repeats it about three times, I think, in chapter, in, uh, chapter 13 to 15. Three or four times. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. The one who loves me obeys my commands. That's evidence of that. And as Christians, do you find that you want to follow God's law? I, I would say that that's, I mean, that's evidence of being a Christian. You want to do it God's way. Do you, always, do you always carry it out perfectly? No. That's why John, uh, Paul wrote Romans 7. Why do you think he put that in there? Because Paul talked about his own struggle with sin. How, you know, in his mind he delights in the law of God. But he says, outwardly, something different happens. He says, every time I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He says, and then the things I hate, those are the things I do. That's part of the Christian experience. It's the part we don't like, but that's sin. And I'm not playing it lightly because sin is grievous. What we consider the most minute sin or we might try to classify it as a peccadillo. Well, it's just a little peccadillo. It's not a big deal. Well, remember, Jesus died for that little sin as well. He died for every sin. So when we try to downplay that, we're really taking the work of Christ on the cross. Any sin is a terrible offense to God. It's rebellion. I always liked the way R.C. Sproul used to call sin. He used to, he used to say, it's, uh, he used to, it's treason. He used to say that sin is treason against the sovereign God of the universe, the sovereign king of the universe. Every sin is. It's treason. And the penalty is death. And because of Christ, we don't have to face that penalty. Verse 3, this is love for God, to obey His commands. And look, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. His commands are not burdensome. Why? For if we love God, why would they be burdensome? Think about this. When somebody you love asks you to do something, he said, do you think you could do this for me? You love that person. Isn't that, isn't that a chance to show your love to them? Isn't that a chance to say, of course I'll do this for you? Is that what you say to one another? Next time your husband goes, hey honey, could you fix this dirty shirt for me or do something like that? Hopefully he's not going to wear it on his head. You know, he's gonna, you, you maybe can help him in that degree. You know, unless, of course, it's something he could do and you got ten other tasks going on, then throw it on his head. That's okay. Then you're allowed to. But if, if a stranger, you know, you'd be more intent. Or if, if, if a, your wife comes and says, Honey, would you put out the garbage? You go, Oh, the game's on. right? Oh, look. Or is that an opportunity to say, Sure, I'll do it. You know, to, to show that love. The, these, it shouldn't be a burden to do that for one another. We ought to, to lovingly care for one another, and that's the way we do it. When somebody asks us to do something we love, we should want to do it for them. But if a stranger came to you 
You know, somebody, you might be, you, you might not be so inclined to want to do that. If your next door neighbor comes who you really don't know and said, hey, listen, uh, my shirt, I got some stains on it. Could you take them out? Would you feel the same way as if your husband did it? I would hope not. Or if, you know, the neighbor next door said, do you mind, uh, I'm busy right now. Would you put my garbage out for me? I, you might not be so, you know, it might be more of a burden to do it. It's like, all right, I'll do it for this guy. You know, it's, I don't know why he can't do it himself. And, you, you know, you might do it like that. I'm trying to be honest with you folks. Maybe some of you are going, oh, that's a bad attitude. I, I believe that lots of times we can feel that way. We might think it will do it, but we're not. It's still like, oh, a burden. This is a burden. You know, but when somebody asks us who we love, it shouldn't be a burden. It should be a joy. And when God, who loves us, and we say we love Him, to do His commands should be a joy for us. That should give us great fulfillment. You know, I'm looking around. I don't see one person napping this morning. That little talk worked. I am, I'm going to have to use that more often. That's great. Nobody. Everybody's awake. This is great. Okay. Anyway. Uh, I'm I get excited about things like that, you know, it's, okay. Anyway, he says, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Hmm. Now, he's talking about God's commands here. He says, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Why? For everyone born of God overcomes the world. How do we overcome the world? Let's go back. What's the world? It's not the system of politics. It's, it's not our culture necessarily. That's influenced by the world. But the world is basically that invisible spiritual system of evil that's fueled by Satan. It's that, that whole mindset against God. It's not for God. That whole antichrist mentality of the world. The world is not for God. And so this is what John is referring to again when he says the world. He's referring to that spiritual mentality and system that is against Christ is against God. So, and, but he's saying that we have uh, the victory that overcomes the world. How? How do we overcome it? By obeying God's commands. Then we're overcoming sin. We're not being, we're not being led into that. We're not being losers, in a sense. When we sin, we're the loser. But no, we're that victor. We're, we're the one who is victorious, who conquers because we obey God's commands. And God's commands are not burdensome. It's a joy. We should look at that and say, look what sin keeps us from. And what does being in Christ, being an overcomer mean? What are we overcoming? Well, the first thing we overcome is Satan himself. And again, remember, we're only overcomers because why? We're, as John says, we're born of God. This is, 
If you're not a Christian, you can't, you can't you know, relate to this. But if you're a Christian, you can relate to this because of the power that God gives you. When you are born of God, you belong to Him. The Holy Spirit is in you. And if you have the Word of God, you have the tools to fight off the, the, that mindset of the world here. Uh, anyway, just real quickly, if you want to, you don't have to, but I'm going to go to Revelation for a minute. I just want to show you where it's, it's mentioned here when we say, what does that mean that we have overcome the world? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 here. In fact, I'm going to go to chapter 10, and bef uh, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 10. Before that, it's telling how God hurls down Satan, the dragon, to earth, and now Satan is going to put the full-pronged attack during the... Rev uh, during the uh, tribulation that's taking place there but he says in verse 10 then i heard a loud voice in heaven say this is john who's having this vision of heaven and the end times now we have come and now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our god and the authority of christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And that's one of the things that Satan does. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's the devil. He's the accuser. And there's instances in the Bible. Think of Job, how Job begins. Satan here is, is accusing Job. That Job's not really a, you know, a, 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 the only reason he believes you is because he has such a blessed life. Take that away from him, ah, and he's going to curse you, God. Or in, in uh, the book of Zechariah, in chapter 3, when Joshua the high priest is standing before God, and Satan's there, and Sat Satan's accusing Joshua the high priest. He's, alert. He's, he's accusing him here of sin. And God, it says, gives him clean, a clean robe, white robe of righteousness and a new head, a headband. But so here, but look what happens now. So I went back to John. Ah. I moved my text, I'm sorry. Okay, in chapter 12 here, in verse 11, then he talks about the saints that have been martyred, and he says, they overcome him, that's Satan, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. These are those who during the tribulation are going to be slaughtered because they would not take the mark of the beast, or they refused to go with the world system. They resisted, they resisted Satan and that whole movement that was taking place. And they were executed for their faith. He says, but he says, they overcame him. Now they were they were martyred, but he says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's the word of their testimony? Jesus Christ. They're a child of God. Christ died for them. He bled for them. And so here these people are called overcomers because why? In the end, they're in heaven. They've overcome Satan. They've overcome death. And they've overcome sin. Look at ver uh, chapter 15 if you want. 
Here, John has another sight of heaven. And in verse 2 of 15, he says, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. If you remember, you had to take a name, 666. If you didn't take that number, you couldn't get food, you couldn't trade, you couldn't do anything like that. He says, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. And here's these martyrs who died, but they were overcomers. They didn't sink in their faith. They held on to the truth of who Christ is. They held to the end, even to their death. And the next scene is they're in heaven before God singing God's praise. They overcame. Regardless of what happened to their physical body, they overcame. Verse Chapter 21, verse 7. Jesus says, He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Again, he's talking about he who overcomes, the one who perseveres and doesn't give in to the world, who doesn't give in to Satan, but who holds their ground and their faith. Are you solid in your faith? Are we solid in our faith that we can be overcomers, that there's nothing that would come between us? You know, as I say this, go to Romans 8. Please go to Romans 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. And I want to show you what John, uh, Paul here states. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. He says, more than conquerors. Because in verse 35, verse 35, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul says, who can separate? Can these things separate us from God? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are huper nike, he says. That's super conquerors, super victors, super winners above the ultimate. He's saying you're the ultimate conqueror. Through him who loved us, and that's the key. How are we conquerors? Through him who loved us and died for us. That's the key there. It's Christ alone who makes us super conquerors. And look, as we go on, uh, verse 38, he says, For I am convinced, I know for sure, Paul's saying, there's no doubt, that neither death nor life 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Word of God when He says that? This is for us. This is who we are. We're the super conquerors, Paul says. Because he says there's nothing that can separate us from Christ, who is our life, who is our eternal life. Nothing, he says. We're super conquerors. Now, if you want to turn back to John. By the way, I was just thinking... Jesus, remember when he used this term? In the Gospel of John, verse 16, verse 33, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, this is now, this is the last night, this is that upper room discourse all through there. He's Very shortly he's going to be arrested and then tried and crucified on the next morning. Jesus says to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. But what? But take heart, for I have what? Overcome. I have Nike, the world, he says. So we can we don't have to be troubled. He says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And we are what? In Christ. Christ has overcome the world, and we has his followers, his believers, also overcome the world, John says. That we overcome the world because of Christ. And it's all by what? Grace. There's no credit for us. We get, we get zilcho. <laughs> Nada. Nothing. You know, the big zero for what we've done. Jesus gets it all. And that's why it's all to his glory. I love when the reformers, when the Protestant reformers, and they had the five solas. One of them was solo Dei Gloria. It's to God alone be the glory. Because everything to do with our salvation is by grace. It's the grace of God. Without the grace of God, we're in trouble. Because we know that no one, righteousness cannot be obtained through the law. We can't do it. We can't keep the commands. But we can keep his commands through Christ. And when we fall, we have that grace of God, that gift of grace called repentance. Confession and repentance. And the men on Saturday mornings were... We're taking our time going through Psalm 51, a, a model of biblical repentance. And we'll probably be on it for another three or four sessions together. We've been on it now for about three. And we're really breaking it down and looking what is biblical repentance. What a gift that is. And if God can forgive David, who committed adultery, murder by proxy, lying, covering up, God was willing to forgive him. He can forgive us too. It's that gift of repentance, confession and repentance that 
is all by His grace. Okay, now. It says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Notice that word, overcome. Three times he uses it. Overcome the world. Even our faith. Uh, a more, I think, relatable word is, that is our faith. He says, this is the victory. It's by faith in Christ. It's the faith in Christ. It's the work he's done and the grace he's given us. And it's by us putting our faith in that. Persevering. Holding to our faith. I get afraid. I, I said a couple weeks ago, I think. I can't remember. <laughs> I forgot what I said a minute ago. So anyway, but my concern sometimes is that as Christians go on, you know, we always talk about we, want, we like the new Christians coming in the church, which we should because a sign of a healthy church is conversions coming. There should be conversions coming into our church. But my concern is that we always say, oh, they're, they're so you know, filled with excitement and energy and this and that. As older Christians, we should have more than they do because we, are that, we should be that closer to God and have that much more understanding of what our salvation means for us, especially as the timeline gets shorter. You know, I look now, I'm 69. I said, you know, when I was 40, it seemed like, oh, there's a big stretch. I can, see the, I can see the finish line. I'm starting to see the finish line. And a lot of you are too, by the way. Don't, uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw you in there too. And we've had more time to be with Jesus. More time to know the Word of God. More time to take these truths and see they're real. It really does work. God's Word works. It's real because it's absolute truth. That should, we should be the ones who are encouraging the new believers, but I always feel like I hear older believers say sometimes, oh, we need, you know, those young Christians, they really pick us. Yeah, it is exciting to see them doing that, but we should be putting our arm around them and discipling them and moving them up so they get up the ladder. They want, we want to bring them up where we're supposed to be. And that should be exciting. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. That is our faith. It's by faith that we overcome the world. Again, the world. That system of evil, that the idea of Antichrist and Antichrists those who are not, you work, if you work in the real world, you know what it's like and the things sometimes you're asked to do, you know, and we have to say no. I can remember working on my job there, and I'm not saying this is, a, I, I don't like to maybe use examples like this, but I know there were several times where my bosses asked me to do something that was wrong. And I respectfully told them no. And I told them why. And they accepted that. Which, you know, I, I was concerned. I said, gee, I hope this doesn't, like, you know, cause. And my mind, I was thinking that, you know. I got but you know what? God honored it. He does. And you know what? If somehow they would have wanted to get rid of me and they would have found the way to do it, you think God wouldn't have provided another job for me? 
I always love the, the uh, saint. Now I'm going to go off for a second. But Polycarp, one of the f- early first century church fathers. He was actually Polycarp too, was a disciple of John here. He was, he was under John's teaching, Polycarp. And Polycarp was going to be burned at the stake. And they, just, and they didn't want to burn him because Polycarp was 80 years old. And it wasn't going to look good for them, this kindly old man. In fact, when the soldiers came to arrest Polycarp because he was a Christian, Polycarp invited them and they sat down and he gave these guys something to eat. I mean, it was like, you know, he loved that Polycarp part. And the, the, the governor really didn't want him to be executed. He just wanted him to say, okay, you know, Caesar is Lord. That's all he wanted him to say. But when, when he asked Polycarp, he said, Polycarp, just all I'm asking you to do is to denounce the unbelievers. He was saying, the heretics. The, the Christians were considered heretics because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. And he asked Polycarp, so Polycarp looked out at the, the arena and he pointed to the Romans and he went, you know, the heretics like that. So they had to, at that point, they had to uh, burn him at the stake. But as they were getting ready to, Polycarp, he said, I will not, you know, renounce Jesus Christ. He said, God, he said, for 80 years has been faithful to me. How can I, after 80 years of his faithfulness, be unfaithful to him? And Polycarp was burned at the stake. But we know where Polycarp is right now. He's rejoicing. This morning, he's in the best, the greatest service you could ever have. He's before Christ, worshiping him in fullness. He is. All right, let's move on. And then he asked, who is is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, he goes full circle here. He started with the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you look at verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. John has gone in a full circle here back to faith in Christ. He says, that's the one. He says, the overcomer is the Christian. The one who believes in Christ. And along with that, remember, it's a package faith in Jesus and it's shown by love for God love for others and it's shown that love for Jesus is what shown by obedience Jesus said if you love me you'll obey my commands like this and he goes full circle in here but I want to I want to ask you something this morning and I'm really done with the the text part of it, but I just want to ask you something this morning. You know, we say we're overcomers, but I wonder how many of us are struggling to be overcomers. And I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, do we identify as a Christian, do we think of ourselves as overcomers? You know, we... Our lives are are molded and shaped by a lot of things that happen to us. And for some people, it's things that happen in their childhood. It's others, it's all along as we go. 
And these things, after a while, we learn, you know, when things are painful, our, our whole focus and motivation many times is on one thing, to avoid pain, unfortunately. But think about it, you know, just as we, we touch a hot stove and we draw back, we do that emotionally. And children learn to do that by when something happens, they, you know, use, use the term coping mechanisms. You know, you learn to survive by other types of behaviors. And most of the time, they end up being neurotic behaviors or weird behaviors sometimes in the process of our development like that. And we go on just, oh, I, he's got quirks or he's got this and that. But think about how we, we fight to, to defend, to keep ourselves from pain. We really do. Think about people that you might not want to talk about, to talk to, or something, because if you do, they, it'll end up, you know, it, it won't end up nice. So what do we do? We say, oh, I, just, I won't bother talking to him because he's just going to get angry. What am I doing? I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting myself because I don't want to be hurt when that person starts going at me. And, I mean, you, you, you go back and you think, and I'll, I'll make this quick, but if you go back, because I was thinking about the idea of our identities, and so many people, if... If someone would say, when they were a child, they were abused, it could be emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Think how that defines that person's character. It affects them deeply. And many times afterwards, and there, there are a number of, we could go on scenarios of what you went through when you were a child. Everybody is a victim and we've all made p other people victims by our, our behavior, too, is, is what reality is. We're all victims and victimizers, in the, in the sense, by not loving others. And you take a person who maybe is, you know, raised where they went through something like this, where it was really traumatic. After a while, that defines them. And as they grow up, if they don't deal with that and they become a Christian, that's still part of who they are. And it, it stops. We think about why you don't love others sometimes. Maybe their personality. Maybe, you know, you're afraid, oh, if I talk to them, they'll fall apart or cry. So what do we do? Instead of maybe talking to them about something that's important, we'll just back off because we don't want to deal with things but it's important that we relate to one another and we're not afraid to and help. And the, the bottom line is we should be defined as Christians, as overcomers. And many times people, we still think of ourselves as victims. And I'm not downplaying what people have gone, each of us has gone through. But too many times we identify more than the experiences we've had as a victim instead of as an overcomer. And yeah, it's painful. And I mean, I have counseled people at times, you know, where they've had horrendous childhoods. But, but what they ultimately have to do is not let these coping mechanisms and behaviors define who they are, but they literally have to go into the pain 
And that feels like death. And nobody wants to feel like that. If we're struggling with a problem, say, a sin in our life, we need to go find out why I'm doing this. It is important. Because ultimately, why, what that motivates us, how we behave and act. And to get back to the overcomer part here. And what happened is what we want to do is identify is what the absolute truth tells us, that we are overcomers. And unfortunately, we have, to, we have to look at our behavior and enter right into it. It's, and it's like entering into the pit of hell sometimes. If you ask yourself, why am I doing this to this person? Or why do I? And you start to analyze it and look at it. And you'll see it's usually self-protection because you're trying to protect yourself from something years ago that brought up about you. And I'm not trying to get like into heavy uh, psychoanalysis here. But it is important to look at ourselves. David says to the Lord, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. You know, he, he does. The, the uh, Proverbs tells us about our heart. It says that above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. We need to look at our hearts and see what's in there and what has come before and why we behave like we do. And we have this terrible fear of going in there because it feels like death when we really start to face, you know, why we do what we do. But it's there you're going to find Christ. I have people who, who overcome rape and abuse and things like that. It's in the midst of their pain where they find Christ. He's there. Think about how uh, David wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you were with me. Christ is there in the darkest places. And you know what? When we can get past those things and overcome that, because it's sin, ultimately, because it's self-protection, what we're doing, if we're protecting ourselves, how can I love somebody else? How can I love you when I'm trying to protect myself? I'm going to do what's good for me in the end. And all I'm saying is, look at why you do what you do and ask yourself, am I letting the circumstances of my life define me? Or am I letting God, his word, and what Jesus has done when he calls me an overcomer of sin? We've overcome Satan. We've overcome sin, the law, and death because of what Christ has done. Because he overcame, we will overcome. He said, he said in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We're overcomers in Christ. Let's... Let's make that a reality day by day. And if you're struggling with things, talk with somebody. Let them help you walk through it, whatever it might be. And it doesn't have to be so severe. It doesn't have to be like it was these severe things. It could be just ways you've learned to relate, again, to protect yourself from others hurting you. We don't want to live lives that we're protecting ourselves. We want to lay down our lives for others like Jesus said we are too. And we can be overcomers because we already are. We just have to make it a reality. Amen.